What if some of the things that you have always believed about being a Christian were actually not correct? What if some of the lines that have been drawn around your beliefs are man-made and not biblical truth? What if the things that we have been striving for or the unattainable standards that we hold ourselves to are actually not the whole point of living for Jesus? What if we stopped trying so hard to be the perfect Christians? What would that look like? How many of us have lived dutiful Christian lives, but really it felt like taking a prescribed pill? Each day, or maybe if we're really honest here today with ourselves, once a week when we come to church, we open the bottle and we take our Jesus pill. We do our duty to belong to a faith that we claim to have chosen. And then we wonder why we're still depressed and sad. We wonder why we're lonely and discouraged. We wonder why our Jesus pills aren't working. We're taking them. We're doing the things that we've been told will make us better Christians. We pray every once in a while when life gets into crisis mode. We go to church. We even serve sometimes when it fits our schedule, when it doesn't mess up our family's plans. We even read a devotional now and then for good measure. We thought the prescribed pills were leading us closer to Jesus, but the prescribed pills were actually drawing lines around what a life with Jesus really has to offer boxing us in and limiting what he wants to do in each one of our individual lives. I think that some of this has been the church's fault. Not any one individual church, but decades of corporate church. And if you've known me for even two seconds, you know that I am a huge advocate of the local church. Nothing gets me riled up faster than someone saying there isn't a need for the local church. You want to see mad, Heather, you attack the church. The church, my dear friends, this is what Jesus came and gave his life for. The church is what Jesus is coming back for. And my heart's desire is that I will always, every single day of my life, be a part of a local church and see it thrive and be a place that people find freedom and life in Jesus. I just wonder if in many ways the church has had a hand in drawing some of these lines around what we think it means to be a perfect Christian. If the church has contributed to the division that we have in our world today, because we've boxed ourselves into like-mindedness and those who think just like us. If some of the lines that have been drawn to keep people out, people who don't know or believe what we believe. Has the church become more about who we are against than who we are for? 
has the church drawn lines to ostracize people? 50 to 100 years ago, if you were in church and you got a divorce, you line them. When I was in high school in youth group, if you had sex before marriage, heaven forbid you got pregnant, black mark, you line them. Today, if you're a gay or lesbian, black mark, you line the church. And the church has drawn these dark lines that many people who don't know Jesus and some who do are being crushed under. I believe that we can both love and passionately disagree with people at the same time. Somehow, many have come to believe that we find Jesus the most when we were inside the walls of the church, the church building. That could not be further from the truth. Somehow, we've come to believe that if you have the title of pastor or leader or you stand behind the pulpit, that that gives you greater access to God. Also, not even close to the truth. The church has become a marketplace where we shop to fill our own desires. Somehow we've come to think that following a list of rules and commandments equals following relationship with Jesus. For some, being a good Christian and doing the right thing has become the goal. And I think in many cases, the lines that were intended for good have ended up being the thing that keeps us from freedom. And I just, I have to wonder if some of those lines are no longer just lines, but chains. Chains that have bound us up. Chains that have limited our calling. Chains that have stolen our freedom. Chains that have kept us from actually knowing who Jesus is. The lines that we have made for ourselves or that other people have made for us have become chains. But there is a way out from those chains. There is a way to overcome the lines that have kept us from freedom, and his name is Jesus. Holy Spirit, we are so honored that you would be here in our midst today that you would come into this place, that we can meet with you, that we can commune with you, that we can worship you. God, I just pray today that as as I stand up here and get to speak, um, God, that you would just begin to chip away at the hard places of our hearts, the places that we've tried to box in or hide or keep dark or ignore. And Jesus, that you would have your way here today. So you might be wondering where the metaphor for lines and chains comes from. Let me explain that for you. If you've missed out on the first several weeks of this series that we're in, it's inspired by this book called Jesus Outside the Lines. It's a new book, just about a year old, by Scott Sauls. And our teaching team read this book, and we were, every single one of us, convicted 
by the biblically-based truth that he teaches in this book. Scott writes about how as Christians today, we have separated ourselves so much from other people. We've drawn so many lines. Them, us. Especially from people who do not profess faith in Jesus. So much so that we are no longer very good at reaching them with the love of Jesus. As Christians, we have become a laughingstock. There are many times that they even want Christ. They just don't want Christians. The lines that we have drawn create divides and chasms between us and them. The author's argument is that while we are inside the lines that we've made, Jesus is outside of those lines, loving people that he came to earth to die for. I think that sometimes while we stay inside the lines we've drawn, we miss out because Jesus is outside of those lines, performing miracles and rescuing people from their own lines. The miraculous part of this, though, is that while we are trapped in our own lines, Jesus isn't defined by lines. He isn't held back by our lines or even by our chains. Jesus steps across lines. Jesus breaks through chains. Jesus even disregards the fact that we, in some cases, have chosen to stay inside, trapped in our lines and chains. He disregards that. He says, I'm coming over anyway. We see this in this conversation that the disciples are having of Jesus. Okay, and I want you to picture this. The disciples and Jesus have been together for almost three years. They've been doing everything together. They've been living together, traveling together. They've been hearing him preach. They've been seeing him perform miracles. They're in awe of this man. They have given up everything, their careers, their family. They've walked away from it all to follow this man. And then Jesus drops this bombshell on them. He says, oh, by the way, I'm about to go back home. I'm about to go back to my father, and I'm going to leave you all here to do the work. And then he says, oh, and while we're at it, guys, one of you in this circle is going to betray me, and I'm going to die. Okay, you can imagine the freak out that must have been happening in the disciples. This man that had become everything to them. He says, I'm leaving. One of you is going to betray me. And I'm going to die. You think you got bad news this week? And then Jesus says this. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. What? I'm sure they're thinking, how can you mean that, Jesus? You're everything to us. You're going to leave us and you're telling us not to worry about it? He says, trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. 
And then Thomas, loving, doubting, always full of questions, Thomas. He says, no, Jesus, we don't know. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? I mean, I like a practical guy. Like, you didn't even tell us where you were going. How are we supposed to know how to get there? Jesus told him, listen, this is good. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Those things don't sound like bondage to me. Those things don't sound like chains to me. Those things sound like freedom. Jesus says, I am the truth. See, just a few chapters earlier, the disciples have heard Jesus say that the truth will set them free. And now he's saying, I am the truth. I will set you free. In John 8, he's talking to these people who believed in him. And he said, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, Jesus. And the truth, Jesus, will set you free. And so the people are like, what do you mean, Jesus? We will be set free? Like, what do we need to be set free from? We're not slaves. We're not in bondage. What do we need to be set? They didn't even know it. They were in chains. They were in bondage. They were going to an eternal hell, and they didn't even know it. Some of you in here are in chains, and you don't even know it. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family. Can I get an amen to that? A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Jesus could not have said it any clearer. Because of him, we are free. But do we believe that? Do we live like that? Do people around us see us living lives of freedom? Or do they see our bondage and our chains and our lines? Do they see us constantly complaining about one thing or another? Do they see us never satisfied with life? Do they see us with an air of negativity surrounding pretty much everything? Do they see you living defeated lives that look nothing like freedom, reaching others around us with the love of Jesus and stepping across the lines that culture or the church or other people have drawn means we first have to step over some of our own lines. Do you understand what that means? We first have to face our own chains. We first need to find freedom from our own lines. How will we ever be able to share the love of Jesus with people if all we are offering them looks like defeated lives that we live? I think many of us have chains that bind us down and we don't even recognize it. We don't identify our complaining, our depression, our struggling marriage, our bad attitudes, our selfishness, 
our lack of joy, our loneliness, our money problems, our parenting issues as something that needs to be defeated, as something that we need to be set free from. And we continue living inside our lines that have become chains. Here we are facing an election in our country that no one is happy about. I mean, I don't think I've heard of one red-blooded American or Canadian that is happy with the state of our nation as we lead up to this presidential election. And the word freedom is thrown out a lot by both sides across all the lines. The freedom of our country depends on this person being elected. Or the freedom of our country depends on this person not being elected. Our freedom is at stake, and our freedom is the most important factor. We claim it's important. We fight for freedom. We die for freedom. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to choose, freedom to govern ourselves in a democratic society. So if it's so important for our country, why are so many of us living in spiritual bondage? Why is our physical freedom more important than our spiritual freedom? Why are so many of us content with being slaves to our lines, held down by chains and anything but set free in Jesus? We talk, we tweet, we Instagram about freedom for our nation while our souls suffer in debilitating bondage. My friends, my, my church family, today that changes. Today is the day that you finally break out of those chains. Today is the day that you can become free because of Jesus. You can begin to walk in freedom and you can let go of what has been holding you down. Listen to me. If Jesus can break the chains of sin and death, he can most definitely break you out of your lines and chains, no matter what they look like and no matter how long they've been there. So what are your lines? What are your chains? What's keeping you from full, unbridled freedom in your life, in your relationship with Jesus? Is it self-indulgence? Are you more concerned with you than with anyone else? Is it something from your past? Are you still living in defeat from something that happened in your past and is dictating your present? Are your lines or chains there because someone else put them there and you've chosen to stay in them? Are your lines or chains your job or your career? Do you feel trapped or boxed in where you are and not living in freedom? Are your lines or chains the mirror? You look in the mirror and you tell yourself these lies. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not trendy enough. I'm not like that person. And you become trapped by chains, by the lies that you tell yourself. Who is the father of lies? It's Satan. Anything that is not truth, anything that is not from the word of God is a lie from the pit of hell. 
But Jesus is freedom, not lines and chains. I hinted at some of my lines when I opened this message. And at times, some of those lines in my life have even become chains. Pretty much my entire life, as far back as I can remember, I have been striving, striving to be good, striving to obey all the rules. I'm a mega rule follower. Striving to get my parents' approval, striving to get God's approval, striving to be better at what I do, striving not to mess up, striving to become someone. Do you know what the definition of striving is? Check this out. To make great efforts to achieve or obtain something. Or the second one, to struggle or fight vigorously. That sounds tiring, doesn't it? A friend of mine ran into me this week, and we talked for a couple minutes. And then she sent me an email shortly after that, and she said, Heather, I sensed a presence of exhaustion on you. She was right. Because striving, striving to be enough, striving to to be good enough, striving to be who I think God wants me to be. And since I'm bearing my soul to you, you need to know that most of the time I didn't and I don't feel like I'm hitting the mark. I feel like I'm trying really hard, but I'm just not quite getting there. I feel like I'm just not enough. Even today, this week, as I help lead this church, I'm constantly battling if I'm being enough for all of you, if I'm leading well enough, if I could be doing this better or that better. I'm striving, striving, striving. And the reality is, someone is always unhappy with something. So striving doesn't even fix all the things. Leading and loving people is messy, and I can't fix people anyway. Only Jesus can do that. So my striving needs to stop. For me, this began in my childhood. There were a lot of rules, and that's good. I like rules. There were lines that I was not supposed to cross, and I'm really good at not crossing lines. And I truly believe that most of these lines were made out of good intentions from different authorities in my life, from my parents, from leaders in my life, from mentors, from ministry leaders. But fear of stepping outside of those lines dictated my life. And these lines, if crossed, meant you weren't good enough. Now, no one said those words to me. Don't cross this line or you're not good enough. 
but somehow in my firstborn rule-following brain, that's how I interpreted them. I remember trying so hard to be so perfect so that I would never disappoint my parents. I was striving. I remember one time when I was a kid and we were in Sunday school and we were supposed to do, who remembers sword drills? Like the game from hell. I'm not even kidding you. Holy Bible, terrible game. I couldn't find the book of Nahum. I know most of you probably don't even know that Nahum is a book of the Bible. It's two pages long. It's literally impossible to find. It's not like Psalms. Every time you open your Bible, Psalms opens up. Nahum. Even today, I get anxious when I try to remember. Someone's like, well, which is that verse in the Bible? I'm like, <laughs> I can quote you the verse, but I can't remember where it's at. I don't know what book it's in. I might get close. Like, I could probably tell you Old Testament and New Testament. But I don't know what chapter it's in. I don't know what verse it's in. I am just not great with that kind of stuff. Some people can quote Bible chapter and verse for days, like to quote movie quotes. I'm not good with movie quotes either. But I used to beat myself up for that. I felt not good enough. Not being able to find the book of Nahum, it made me feel less. It made me feel not good enough. No one had put that exact expectation on me. You need to know where the book of Nahum is. You need to be able to find every chapter and every verse like that. No one had put that on me. But because of other expectations that were put on me in other areas, I had put it on myself. Because of other lines that were drawn, I had begun to draw my own lines. And they were unattainable expectations. And my striving constantly made me feel like I wasn't good enough. And throughout my life, even as an adult, I have often felt not good enough. Some of those lines had become my chains. But Jesus is freedom, not lines and chains. I remember being an 18-year-old leader in a huge and prominent ministry. This position was a dream of mine since I had been 15 years old. It was nearly impossible to get this position, but I got it. Out of thousands of wishful students, I was one of the 25 that got asked to be on staff. I can remember those three years leading up to that, from the time that I was 15 and I was introduced to the possibility of being on staff to the time that I ended up on staff, three years. I was striving. I was striving to show that I was responsible enough. I was striving to be committed enough. I did close to 150 of these seminars, proving that I was, that I was committed. I was striving to be noticed for the position. I was striving to be perfect so that they would have chosen me. I mean, we had these little stations, things like VBS, but on steroids, okay? We had these little stations, and we would lead in them, and you could do stuff at home beforehand to make your station fun for the kids and, like, put all the character qualities on, on banners. I don't, I, you can ask my mom, hours that I spent preparing all that stuff so that I could have the perfect station. 
and it happened. My dream came true, but the striving continued. I remember this story like it was yesterday. My team of five was leading a conference with 3,000 kids in attendance. I was in charge of all of the student leaders, about 200 of them. I was called into a meeting by my mentor and boss, alongside with another girl who was at the same level that I was at. And we were told that our hairstyles were too short and too worldly, and that they would like for us to grow our hair out. You were good enough if your hair was long and had soft curls. I'm not even kidding you. I remember being angry, but also being so devastated. I hadn't lived up to their expectations of me. My striving had failed me. I felt like I wasn't enough. I felt like I wasn't good enough. I was devastated, all because some person above me decided that the length of your hair defined if you were faithful enough, obedient enough, pure enough, moral enough, and this, my friends, is called legalism. I could go on and on and on about what legalism is, but we don't have time for that today. I could even give you a list of what legalism looked like in my life, but it's most likely very different than what legalism looked like in your life, so taking time to compare would do us no good. Instead, I opted for the ever-faithful Webster's description, and I think that this sums it up perfectly. One, excessive adherence to law or formula. And two, dependence on moral law rather than on personal religious faith. Much of my striving in my life was because of that. Excessive adherence to law or formula. My morals being higher of a standard, higher of a goal than my personal religious relationship with Jesus. And that hair story, while it might seem strange and messed up to you, and it is, that's just one story. I could tell you many more like it. Some of these stories, even today, bring me to tears because they involve a struggle that I still deal with today with my dad. My dad does not approve of the call that I know God has placed on my life. A call to lead the local church, a call to preach and teach the gospel. Talk about having to overcome some chains. I know that my dad loves me dearly. He would do anything for me. But he is on one side of the line, and I am on the other. And we believe very different things about the call of God on my life. So I go on pursuing the call of God on my life without the approval of my dad in this specific area of my life. And because of lines that were drawn for me, even many years ago, some in my childhood and many in my young adult life, most by other people, I 
have learned, had to learn to step over those lines. I have had to learn about freedom. To not let the lines dictate who Jesus says that I am. To find my worth in him, a daughter of the Most High God. And I can stand before you today and tell you that Jesus has taken those lines in my life and he has abolished them. He has taken the lines that have become chains and he has broken them and I am set free. I walk in freedom knowing that in and of myself, I can't be good enough. I can't be worthy enough. I can't make everyone happy, and I certainly can't follow every rule. But because of Jesus and the blood that he shed for me, and because he is the way, and he is the truth, and he is the life, I am enough for my Heavenly Father. You are enough for your heavenly father. I don't have to strive. Jesus took care of that on the cross. He vanquished it. Because Jesus is freedom, not lines and chains. Galatians 5.1 says, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, you might get set free, but Satan is sure going to try to use those lines and those chains against you again. He got you with them once. He's not going to quit trying. This is where we have to be on guard. We have to know what our strongholds are, what our lines were, what our chains were, where our weaknesses lie, so that when we sense Satan trying to bring that bondage back, we can run from it. We can run to the cross. We can run to Jesus, and we can claim the victory that we have already been given. So I'm going to ask you today, what are your lines? What is keeping you from freedom? What are your chains? What is holding you back from complete freedom in your life? I believe that even now the Holy Spirit is speaking something into your heart. Shedding some light in an area that you have chosen to keep dark. Or maybe you don't even know you've chosen to keep it dark. I had to deal with a lot of stuff this week stuff that I thought I had overcome, and I think a lot of it I had overcome, but Satan was trying to hurl it back at me. And I had to run to Jesus. And I had to deal with it, and I had to face it. 2 Corinthians 3, 17, such a beautiful verse. It says, for the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is. Church, the Spirit of the Lord is here. He is among us. He is flowing through us and around us and over us and underneath us. He's trying to penetrate the areas of your heart, the dark places that you've kept hidden, where the chains have bound you up, where there is no freedom, the lines that have been drawn that have defined you, the times that you're saying, I am not good enough. 
The Holy Spirit wants to invade that right now. Phil and Blake are going to come back up and they're going to sing this song that they started with one more time. And I want you to listen. I want you to listen to the words. And I want you to let them sink into your soul. Because I heard this song for the first time three weeks ago and I sobbed. It's my husband's fault. He played it for me. I sobbed because it said so much of what I was feeling and I didn't even realize I, I needed to deal with it. I didn't even realize that I had boxed Jesus in, that I had kept him in a book, that I was taking him like a prescribed pill, that I was limiting him, that I was not walking in freedom in so many areas of my life, and I think some of you are just like that. Some of you are limiting Jesus, and that is a slap in the face to him because he came and died for you to bring you freedom, and not just a little bit of freedom, but full, abundant, wide-open, glorious freedom. During this song, I want you to ask God to show you. I know some of you already know. Ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to show you what lines need to be stepped over in your life and what chains need to be broken. Matthew 11 says, Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn to unfold the rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly that's what Jesus wants to do for some of you in here today he wants to walk with you have you recover your life he wants you to live a free a free life in him and I'm going to pray for you in just a moment but if that's you, if you say, yeah, there's, a, there's some lines, there's some chains, I feel trapped in some things, I want you to stand up on your feet right now. By taking that stand, you're showing God that you're serious, that you're committed to this, that you're saying, I believe that you are freedom, that you are the way, that you are the truth, that you are the life, and it is only through Jesus. You can try a lot of self-help books. You can go to counseling. You can call your best friend. You can rely on your spouse. You can come to church. But only Jesus can set you free. And Jesus says, you see these people standing here, God, and you see their hearts. You know what their lines are, God. You know what their boxes are. You know what their chains are. You know them so intimately. And God, I'm praying freedom. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I'm praying that chains be broken right now in the name of Jesus. Satan, you have no place. You have no control. We drive you out in the name of Jesus, and we say that we are done with you. We are done letting you steal our joy. We are done letting you steal our time. We are done letting you steal our relationships. 
In the name of Jesus, we speak freedom in this place today. And only by the power of Jesus. Just tell him right now. Just claim that freedom in your own words. Just claim it. He is here. The Holy Spirit presence is here. He wants to set you free. This isn't a time for you to take this lightly. This is a time for you to accept that freedom and walk in it. Walk out of here a free person because of the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for you. And when you step over those lines, when you say those chains no longer define who I am, you will be the greatest witness that could ever walk the face of this earth because people will see your freedom and they will say, I want that kind of life. And that is what God intended for you. That is what he intended for you and that is what he intended for me. And Jesus, I thank you for the people in this room, for the freedom that you have brought to us today. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.